Hello, thank you for listening to this sermon from our Revive service. We hope it helps you learn more about God and allow you to grow closer to Him and in your faith. Good morning. Great to see each of you here this morning. If you would, take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Romans. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and then the book of Romans. Romans chapter 1. Today we begin a series. I don't know how many weeks. We'll see how the Spirit leads, but we're going to walk through the book of Romans together uh, as we walk through this, uh, I think this is spring still, right? Spring and summer, it feels like summer already, um, but uh, we're glad that we can gather and worship today and glad that you're here and glad that we can walk through the word together here, Romans chapter 1. Today's just an introduction, we're going to cover the first 17 verses of chapter 1, I'm going to give you some just a few insights here, and then uh, and then we're going to read through verses 1 through 17. One of the things I want, want to encourage you to do uh, in your time uh, with the Lord, would you take time to read through the book of Romans? Uh, it's a little bit longer of a book, but I would encourage you to try to do it in one setting. Maybe once a week, maybe you can do it multiple times, maybe you have to space it out and you don't get through it all in one setting. But let me encourage you that at least one time during your week that you would read through the whole book of Romans, all right, as we go throughout this study. That's your homework, okay? Usually I don't give a whole lot of homework. Uh, There won't be a test at the end, all right, other than your life living it. You're like, oh, wow, thanks. Uh, It is living out the word. We want to not only hear the word, we want to live it. And so Uh, I want to encourage you, really, if you would, dig into the book here as we walk through it. Uh, You come prepared, and I'll come prepared to the best of my ability as we walk through the Word and walk through the book of Romans. Um, There's not a whole lot of argument about who wrote the book. Um, Scholars have said from the very beginning, this is the Apostle Paul. Um, Not only does he mention the beginning, so there's not a whole lot of argument with that. Written roughly 57 A.D., Uh, so if you think about it, Jesus, I believe, in the year of 33 A.D., uh, died, all right? Some scholars say somewhere between 30 and 33 A.D. You do your research. My research shows me that it was 33 A.D., okay, that Jesus died, uh, was buried, and rose again. And roughly sometime after that, either the late 33 or early 34 AD is where we see Paul has his Damascus Road encounter uh, with, the, with Jesus, the living Jesus. Jesus appears before Paul as he's going to Damascus to bring back to Jerusalem the, 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 those who were followers of this Jesus. And on the way to Damascus, he's in, he has this encounter in roughly late 33 or early 34 A.D. Paul writes this letter to uh, the Romans, those who are followers of Jesus in Rome, in roughly 57 A.D. And so if you think about that, again, 34, let's just say Paul is saved at, at 34 A.D., 57 AD, he's writing this letter from Corinth, all right? He's in Corinth, and he's writing this letter to those who are in Rome. He's never gone to Rome yet. He hasn't, uh, he hasn't built this church. This isn't a church plant that he has started, 
Um, a lot of scholars will say that the church that was in Rome came from the day of Pentecost, that those who were there at the day of Pentecost, that we read in early part of Acts, that there were um, believers of Jesus there that went to Rome and started the church in Rome and that it continued to spread throughout Rome. Um, Rome was made up of, at Paul's time, roughly uh, a million people, um, a million to two million, and roughly 40% of those people were slaves at that time. So it gives you just a little bit different of a picture uh, of what that, what that city looked like. And as Paul is writing to them in 57 AD, um, we also know as Paul later on, and his, he's writing on his, the end of his third missionary journey, it won't be long until Paul himself goes to Rome. We'll see this in the text. His desire is to go not only to them, but then he says he wants to go on to Spain as well and to see and to spread the gospel into, into Spain and see the believers there. And so he's desiring to come to Rome. He will come to Rome. We know later, uh, again, Dr. Luke records for us in the book of Acts that, yes, sure enough, Paul does go to Rome and uh, he is there. And ultimately, he loses his life there in Rome. Um, the end of Second Timothy, he writes about, you know, he is poured out as a drink offering. He's coming to the conclusion of his life. And, and, and so he's writing Second Timothy from Rome uh, from his time there. So Rome is a special place, a crazy place at Paul's time. And uh, we'll dig into that as we walk through the text What's interesting is as Paul's writing this letter to uh, the believers in Rome, it is that he is writing to believers. And so we're going to see that as we see what he writes. Paul is not writing like he writes to, to uh, the church in Corinth or even his other epistles where he's trying to correct some theology. He isn't correcting theology in his letter to the, the believers in Rome. He's trying to encourage them in their faith, all right? And so as he does this, he starts off with the gospel. And we're going to encounter that, and I'm going to give you 12 things. Usually I don't give you these many because you're not going to remember any of them if I give you 12. But I am going to give you 12 today because I think our text really lays it out really clear, all right? About the gospel, these 12 items uh, talk to us, Paul says in the very beginning of these first 17 verses, about the gospel and the critical nature of the gospel. And then I believe he's going to expand on that uh, as he goes throughout this letter to the believers in Rome. And so he's encouraging them. Again, he's never been there. They, they aren't his church as other epistles he's written to as he's, as he's the father of those children who have started the church there. That's not the case here. And so he wants to encourage them. And, and we're going to see that because not only will it encourage them, it will be an encouragement to him. There's a mutual encouragement as he's writing this. So let's pray and then we'll dig into the word. Would you pray with me, Lord? Thanks for opportunity to open up the word this morning. And as we look into this uh, great uh, letter that Paul writes, and as he digs into the depths of what faith really looks like, uh, faith in Jesus Christ, Lord, I pray that you would just use um, today and the word in our hearts today, but may this be a series as it changed so many lives that we've heard and seen, uh, much like 
Martin Luther, Lord uh, Ironside, other godly men and women who this letter transformed their faith. Lord, may this be true of us. No matter where we are in our, uh, our timeline of life here on this earth, may your word and may this study through the book of Romans continually transform us so that we may be more made into the image of our Savior, Jesus. So bless our time as we dig into the word here. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Would you stand with me and let's read together Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 17. It should be up on the screen. And as it is, you can follow along up there, but I would encourage you that you follow along in your copy of the word there in front of you. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name amongst all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now let me just pause there for a second. If you look in your text there, there's one period. It's at the end of verse 7. He writes that whole thing. It's all one sentence. And he says, listen, I'm, I'm, and it shows the meatiness, okay, if that can be a word, a meatiness. Uh, 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 I wasn't going to, uh, anyway, it's the, the depthness, okay, it's substance of what Paul, it just gives us a quick glimpse of where he's going to go with us, okay. Verse 8. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, that is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarian, both to the wise and to the foolish, so I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. I believe the key verse of this whole um, book is found here in verses 16 and 17. And so if there's a set of verses that you want to memorize as we walk through this book, let me encourage you, would you jot down or put on your app or something these two verses, verses 16 and 17. 
And as we see, and again, as we walk through today, it really is about the gospel. And so I want to give you these 12 things, and I want to walk you through that, and it will actually walk us through these 17 verses. We see very early on, Paul's in his, he's sharing his greeting here. Number one, he is a servant or a bondservant of Jesus Christ. Now, uh, we don't like to use this term, and if you have the ESV, they have in their prologue um, uh, a description of why they, why they use the term here of servant and not slave or bond slave um, because of our day and because of what it represents. As Paul's writing this, he is calling himself a bondservant. At, at the time, when you were a slave, you were a slave for a period of time. You came like a worker and you came to your master. And most masters took care of their slaves. All right, But after a series of time, usually seven years... After seven years of work, sometimes it was 14, all right, for those who were slaves to the Romans or the Roman Empire, you were enslaved for 14 years, all right, but after that period of time, you were set free. Some slaves were given an opportunity. If you wanted to remain in that household and to continue that work, you may continue. Some masters gave them that. And so now you were no longer a slave, but you were a bond slave. And you would get a piercing in your ear. Look at us today. Right? You would either get a piercing in your ear. Sometimes it was in the nose, but usually it was in the ear. And the piercing in the ear represented that now you were free. You were not under that master's rules Per se, but now you made a choice and your choice was to stay there. And so there was no longer that heavy weight of fulfilling your obligation. You fulfilled your obligation. You paid your debt. And even though you paid your debt, you were saying, I am willing to abide by what this master has. I will live under their rules and under their authority. I am, I am, consciously making a decision to say, I choose this. That's what a bondservant was. And Paul, as he's writing this, this is the term that he uses, not only here, but many of his writings. He begins this way because he wants to make it clear, I believe, in the very beginning, as he's writing to these followers of Jesus, those who, who have chosen to go the way, not Mandalorian, okay, but the way that Paul or Dr. Luke writes about in Acts, but this is the way the followers of Jesus, Paul's writing and saying, listen, I am choosing this. I choose this. This isn't out of, out of some, um, and again, remember Paul's background. He was a Pharisee. He, he, he was a Jew of a Jew, he had the, the pressures that, that came from being born where he was born and under the rules and underneath the authority of what the law uh, came. He was under that. And he's saying, I live in this great freedom and yet I'm choosing 
to be a servant of Jesus. And it's not something that's weighty. It's not something that's burdensome. No, I find there's great freedom. And he says, but I choose. I'm a bond servant, a bond slave for Jesus. Uh, Paul, a servant or bond servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle. An apostle is defined as somebody who saw Jesus Christ. They saw him and they saw the risen Jesus Christ. Paul, we know his experience, and I even told you about it when he was on the road to Damascus. He saw the risen Jesus. He had a real life encounter with the risen Jesus Paul was an apostle, and it gives us the description here, set apart for the gospel of God. And so our first point here, which is already up there, good job, way to jump ahead, Nevaeh, gave, gave him already the, the answer to the, the question, and that was Paul was set apart for the gospel. Paul was set apart for the gospel, and, and we read in the text that his desire was to go to the Greeks, to go to the Gentiles. Peter was chosen to spread the gospel amongst the Jews, but Paul was chosen to go, go out to the Greeks and to, to the Gentile nations. Remember, the Gentile nations were outcasts. The Gentiles didn't deserve the holy God. And yet here the gospel message wasn't just for God's chosen people, the Jews, it was for all of the world. Because why? The Jews rejected Jesus. And that doesn't mean they weren't worthy to continue to hear the gospel. No, the gospel still applies to the Jews, to the Jew first. Paul writes in verse 16 and 17, the gospel goes to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. So we want our Jewish friends to hear and to believe and to accept the, the gospel message. But it isn't just for the Jews, it's also for the Gentiles. And Paul was set apart to take the gospel to the Gentile nations. Which makes me wonder, you and I, we've been set apart. You may not have that title as apostle. In fact, please don't call yourself an apostle, okay? I don't, and, and, and the uppercase level of apostleship you haven't seen the risen Jesus. I haven't seen him. Not yet anyway. I look forward to that day. When I'll see him face to face. But the truth is you and I have been set apart. And last Sunday, if you can remember, I know that was a long time ago and a lot of things happened. But if you can go back to last Sunday and what I preached, you and I have been given the task of, of going and reconciling and asking people, sharing the gospel message and having them reconciled with God. That's sharing the gospel. God has put us as his ambassadors here on this earth to reconcile others to him. And in doing that, we have been tasked. We have been set apart. You have been set apart for the gospel. Second is this. The gospel was promised beforehand. Verse 2 says, which he promised, God promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son who was a descendant from David according to the flesh. And he was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ our Lord. He's saying, listen, 
prophets of old told about the coming Messiah. The gospel is all about the good news. And the gospel contains this message of a descendant from David in the flesh. So David's descendant, it must be somebody from David's line, his lineage, that has to come to be the Messiah. Paul says Jesus is that. Not only in the flesh, but what else does he say? Now concerning this, according to the flesh, but then he was declared to be the son of God. In what? In the power of the spirit of his resurrection. Because he rose from the dead, not only did he have this uh, the lineage, the flesh authority to be the son of God, to be the Messiah, to be the one who the gospel message was about, but he also showed the power of God because he was raised from the dead. And so the gospel was given even beforehand, before Jesus even came. The prophets talked about this. Some of what we talked about in the weeks earlier about these characters of faith who lived by faith knowing that there was something greater coming, that the Messiah was going to come. The gospel was promised beforehand. Next, we see that the gospel is for all nations. Verse 5, it says, Through whom we have received grace, through Jesus Christ our Lord, we've seen, received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name amongst, what does it say? All the nations. See, we don't get it because we live in such a diverse world today, right? Like our, the world, it used to be, um, as I studied in scripture, that the United States was the melting pot of the world, right? Everybody wanted to come here. And we hear the stories about our great grandparents or our grandparents that came over on boats that came and, and to, to Staten Island and that were able to come and to have a, have a new life here in America, so that idea of all the nations is kind of foreign to us because we live in a world today where, where you can call across the oceans and instantly you can see somebody. Quite, quite remarkable, right? Like, this, it's, it's wild. But think about Paul and his day and his age and what he's writing to these people. Again, this idea and the, 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 the religious mentality at this time was, was, okay, the Jews are God's chosen people. Yahweh, the God of creation, the, the holiest and largest God, and the Jews were his people. And Paul's saying, listen, the gospel isn't just for them, it's for all the nations. Here it is, the obedience of faith. For the sake of his name amongst all the nations. And then the gospel we see here in number four is for the saved and the unsaved. Because look at verse six. Including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. I think sometimes, and I think I did this a few weeks ago when I preached about the, the beauty of the gospel. But we need the gospel every day. Whether you're saved or unsaved, you sit here today and the gospel needs to be a part of your everyday life. The gospel is part not only for the purpose of saving you, to draw you to Jesus, but to keep you in Jesus. So the gospel is not just for the unsaved, and we're going to see this as we walk throughout the scripture here in the book of Romans. The gospel message is for us 
as saved too. To be reminded to hold on to the greatest treasure that we could possibly have. Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection, that he would save us from our sin and to come into our life and be our God. That I could accept him and have an eternal relationship with him. To be reminded of that. Most people who stray in their walk with Jesus have forgotten the gospel. They've misconstrued it. They've made it what it's not. Or they've completely abandoned what the gospel is. Don't forget what the gospel is. Number five, the gospel is about the son. Look at verse nine. He says, for God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son. The gospel of his son, the gospel is all about one person. It's about Jesus Christ. The father sent the son to be the savior of the world. And we see this in verses three and four. Now concerning his son, who was a descendant from David, and he was declared to be the son of God. And so ultimately the gospel is not about you and I and what we can do. The gospel is about the son. The gospel is about what Jesus has already done. The gospel is what God in his loving care has accomplished through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Don't make the gospel about you. Because ultimately, the good news is about Jesus. Amen? Number six, the, God of, the gospel motivates our prayers. Look at verse 10. Paul writes, always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will, I may now at last succeed to come, in you, come to you. Ultimately, the gospel helps us see that God hears us. The gospel helps motivate me to come to him continually praying and talking to him, asking. Paul's writing and saying, listen, I'm praying, I'm pleading why? Because of the gospel that's changed your life, and I'm praying that I will be able to come to you. Why? That's number seven. Because the gospel encourages one another. The gospel helps us to encourage one another. Look at verses 11 through 13. For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. They already have their faith in Jesus. He wants to help them continually to grow, to give them a spiritual gift to strengthen them. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by one another's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I've often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. He's saying, listen, the gospel is about building up one another. It's about encouraging one another. Number eight, verse 15 says, Paul writes, I am eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. Which again speaks to these are already believers and yet he wants to preach not only to them but to others so that they may hear and know and accept Jesus. But this preaching the gospel to them who are in Rome, who are already believers, Paul was eager to preach the gospel. It wasn't a one-time deal. 
It was a continual preaching, bringing the gospel message, bringing the good news to people who needed good news. It's interesting, the gospel, this term is in, in ancient history was written and used in two different ways. Um, one, it was, it was brought from the headlines of a battle, the front lines of a battle. So the battle's going on, and there was news that was brought to the king, and that news was called the gospel. It was giving them information of what's happening on the front line. The other way this term was used was uh, in, in uh, when a king would have a child, and that child was a boy, and it was his firstborn boy, that he was now the one who would assume the throne. And so the message that would go out to the kingdom would be this term gospel so that the, the, the nation could rejoice, they could celebrate, they could be happy because now there is an heir to the throne. In that way, here is the gospel message and Paul is continually eager to preach it. He couldn't wait to get word out about it. Are you eager to preach the gospel? Say, I'm not a preacher. No, you're not. A lot of you, I know, would be deathly afraid of standing here and getting up in front of a group of people. But let me encourage you. I believe that God wants you to preach the gospel. I believe that God has not only chosen you, but he's equipped you so that, number one, you may know the gospel, that you may accept the gospel, that, but that you would preach it in your world. And let me encourage you, stop with your excuses. Just stop it. We can come up with an excuse for anything, right? If you want to know some good excuses, just hang around these kids today. Right? You guys got good excuses of why you do things, right? Anna's like, yeah, I got a good one. Paul didn't have any excuses. God had called him and he was going to be obedient. He was eager. He couldn't wait. We get bogged down in so many things of this life and they don't even really matter. You know what matters? The gospel matters. Do you believe that? I mean, do you really believe that the gospel is the most important thing in your life? Because if it is, then you will have an eagerness to go and to share it. You won't need some motivating speech. You won't need a little pat on the back. The gospel message should be the most glorious and wonderful thing that's ever happened to you. And it's not for us to keep. But what happens to you, I'm assuming, because it happens to me, I get bogged down. I go home and I've got a nail in my tire. I get home and this isn't working anymore. Or this is broken. Or 
I've got to go run to the store or I've got to go pick up this child or I've got to go handle this situation or I'm just tired and worn out from a full day of work. We get bogged down and we lose sight of this glorious gift that we've been given. It happens to the best of us. And that's the challenge for today as we look at the gospel, as we look at the one thing that not only has changed our life and the tra trajectory of where we are headed, that we get to spend eternity in heaven, but the gospel is what keeps us going every single day. Paul was eager to preach it. Verse 16, Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Are you ashamed of the gospel? I would love to say, no, I'm not. I'm preaching it today. You ever have an opportunity where you feel the Spirit saying, hey, you need to say something about Jesus to this person? And you're like, oh, I can't do that. And you have this internal war. Some of you just do the silent treatment to God. You're just like, mm, no, and that's enough. Others of you wrestle in your mind. You're like, no, I don't think I can do it. Oh, maybe I, no, no, and you go back and forth. Paul is saying, listen, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because he realizes the richness. He realizes it is everything in his life. And that's why I challenge us today when the gospel is at the center of everything that we do, when it's the center of our thinking and our belief, our lives are transformed and we say, this is the one thing that keeps everything together. And that's why Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. I'm not afraid of what others think. I don't care what they think. I don't care what they believe. I don't care what they're going to say about me. Think about Paul's life. Not only is this a statement that he says here in Romans, I am not ashamed. Paul's life as recorded clearly describes a man who was not ashamed of the gospel. And we say, man, if I could only be like Paul. Don't try to be like Paul. Try to be who God wants you to be. But let me encourage you, that same quality that was in Paul of not being ashamed of the gospel is what God desires for you and for me that we wouldn't be ashamed of it. Now, will we be arrested, thrown in jail, thrown on a boat and shipwrecked? Paul was stoned, he said. Anybody ever been stoned yet? My brother was mad at me a couple times. He didn't throw stones at me, but he tackled me. It wasn't for the sake of the gospel. It's because I didn't do what he wanted me to do. Guys, when we think about what God desires for us, do you believe that he wants what is best for you? And if believing that he's given you the hope of eternal life, if he's given you the gospel message that is your hope and your everything, then no matter what the world does to you, or as Paul writes later, what can man do to me? Neither height nor depth, nor anything can separate me from the love of the Father. Here it is, the gospel message. Paul is not ashamed of it. Verse, or number 10. Um, in the gospel, the power of God is on display. 
Paul says this, he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Ultimately, in the gospel, the power of God is on display. And you think about it. Think about your life. Think about how God has transformed you. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, he changed you from somebody who is enchained, enslaved to sin, and he has set you free. You've been given freedom. You don't have to sin anymore. Paul can talk about that in a little bit. Hey, did you know that you don't have to sin anymore? Do you still choose to sin? Anybody sign up for that? I don't want to sign up for it, but I choose to sin sometimes. But I don't have to. I don't have to sin because it's the power of God. Because God has done something great that nobody else and nothing else could do. I couldn't work my way out of that. I couldn't redeem myself, but the gospel message tells me that Jesus redeemed me. He purchased me from the slave market of sin, and he's given me freedom. The cost of that freedom was Jesus, the perfect lamb of God, and his life. He gave his life so that we could be set free and be given life. And now we get to live it. And that's the beauty of the gospel. The power of God is on display. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about because you've seen that power of how God has changed your life. Radically transformed who you were and who you are now. Some of us, we grew up hearing the gospel. And as a young age, I accepted Jesus Christ as my savior. Now, I've had times of rebellion, but I didn't have any of those big uh, hanging out with girls that do all that bad stuff. You know, it's not always the girls. I'm teasing. It's a joke, okay? All right? I didn't have to rebel in order to see the beauty of the gospel message. In fact, it's the grace of God that kept me from all of that. I used to think, oh, man, my testimony is not as good as so-and-so. They were doing drugs or they were doing this. They were out partying. They were all experiencing this. I'm like, I'm not as cool as them. And it's like, No. The gospel message for all of us is fantastic. And we're all unique. And yet the, the testimony of one person's is not necessarily greater than the other person's. The gospel message shows the power of God in each of our lives. Because we were helpless. Because we can never save ourselves. Paul writes, the gospel shows the power of God. The power of God is on display. Number 11, the gospel is salvation to everyone who believes. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Anyone who puts their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, salvation is offered to them. That's why we need to be eager to preach the gospel to share the gospel, to proclaim the gospel because it's for anyone who will place their faith, anybody who will believe in that message. We don't know who will and who won't. We don't know if there's a chain and we're just part of that linking where as we share the gospel message, they hear it again, they hear it again, they see it again in somebody else and we get to be a part of that in somebody's life. But we know this, that ultimately the gospel is salvation to anyone. 
and for anyone who will believe. Maybe you sit here today and you've never believed in Jesus Christ. God offers to you good news. He offers to you the gospel. The gospel that changed Paul's life is the gospel that can change your life. It's by placing your faith in Jesus Christ that Jesus would forgive you of your sin, that you find it worthy that he died in your place. He was buried and he rose again three days later to take all of your sin away. He didn't cover it. He wipes it away. As far as the east is from the west, so God has taken our sin away. Isn't that awesome? The gospel is salvation to everyone who believes. Number 12, the gospel motivates us to live by faith. Look at verse 17. For in it, what? In what? Oh, the gospel. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. Or as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. We are declared right, not because we are good people and we do what's right. Our good works are like filthy rags. What we have to offer God is not goodness. Our righteousness, our goodness comes to us because of our faith. The gospel motivates us and it continually encourages us to be livers of faith. I don't know if that came out right. Like a kidney, a liver. Took me back to sitting at the dining room table until darkness set in, putting as much ketchup as I could on that liver. I think I'd eat it now, though. We are to be livers, not that kind of liver. God calls you and me to live by faith. That's what the gospel does. It's not doing it's going to God and say, I believe, will you help me do? Because what I do isn't good enough. The gospel motivates us to continually keep coming back. And even though I might not see, I can see little evidences, little glimpses that says, you know what, Aaron? You can trust him. You have to see proof. That's not faith. We live in a society in a day and age where we say and we hear this. I'll believe. I'll trust if you can prove it to me. That's not faith. That's not the gospel. But as we've already talked about, the gospel radically changes us. And for those of us who have experienced the gospel... We can give firsthand proof, firsthand testimony that the gospel changes. And so while there might not be proof, we live by faith. And when we live by faith, look at all the evidence that's clear. Think about that for a moment. Think about all the evidence of God in your life. What a gift that is because of the gospel. And it encourages us to continue to live lives of faith. The righteous shall live by faith. Twelve items. You might have forgotten 11 of them. I hope 
one of them, as you read through not only this introduction of the book of Romans, but as you continually read through the book of Romans in its entirety, I hope that you'll catch a glimpse of how critical and how important the gospel is. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for the opportunity to meet in this place and to open up your word. We have been given a treasure, the treasure of salvation, the gospel message. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to live it out this week. Help us as we look and examine Paul's life, that we would take some of those same qualities and live them in our own lives. Knowing that it's going to require us to live by faith. It's going to require us to trust you. Even when we don't feel like it. Even though we might not even see it. Help us to know that you are worthy and always worthy of our trust. Always worthy of our faith. Paul's life was radically transformed. Because of the gospel. Because Jesus came to him and offered him a new life. You do the same for each of us. Many of my friends as we sit here today have accepted that new life that you offer to them. I wonder if there's anyone sitting here who, who are listening online who haven't yet accepted Jesus Christ. They haven't taken the gospel, the good news, and claimed it as their own. I pray that now, in this moment, they would place their faith in Jesus. As followers of Jesus, as Paul's writing to those believers in Rome about the importance of the gospel, may we keep the gospel directly in front of us today, this week, and the days ahead. We need your help in doing that, Lord. So would your spirit tug at us, pull at us, prod us, do all that's needed so that we may continue to be obedient to a life of faith in you. We pray this in the precious name of our Savior, Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah. Amen.